podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Check, check. <laughs> I had stopped recording because you had said testing, and I was just going to start a new file and save check. you from cutting it up. Check. And as soon as I hit record, you said check, check. Check, check. Testing. Welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. I'm Matt Myra. I'm Andrew Secunda. Uh, we're here uh, in Paris recording. Uh, probably blew too much money to come out here to record for this episode. We really wanted to have an authenticity. Uh, an authenticity that the show did not have. No. <laughs> That's true. No. It was as false as the holodeck Paris that it presented. Oh, no, we are talking about uh, an episode called We'll uh, Always Have Paris, uh, which I had sort of remembered just because Michelle Phillips was in it. And right. Then I forgot about it probably 20 years ago. Yeah. Anyway, let's, let's talk about uh, other things besides Star Trek. All right. Everyone loves that. Um... <laughs> we do the Admiral's Club first? Let's do it first. <laughs> All right, let's do the Admiral's Club first. I don't think we have an Admiral's Club theme. We don't have an Admiral's Club theme. So if anybody wants to come up with a, a little brief sting for Admiral's Club, feel free. Um, the Admiral's Club, as you uh, may remember, is uh, our five-star rated... People People give us five stars on iTunes. Um, you're automatically in the Admiral's Club. Here's a couple of examples. Serial Killer, colon, an analysis of Wesley Robert Crusher. <laughs> a fantastic podcast. This is from iTunes, bitches. <laughs> uh, listening in is like standing in a comic book store, one aisle over from two guys having a conversation. You want to pop a Mountain Dew, a bag of Funyuns, and just hear them go at it. The theor- theories, or I might say revelations, provide a whole new optic when watching the show. Thanks, Matt and Sandy. <laughs> uh, time travel back to our youth from bipolar bear 66 um bipolar bear would be a real bad situation <laughs> well sometimes good <laughs> i guess that's true sometimes they'd be very friendly matt and andy are witty and having a great chemistry they have a great bromance where they have kirk spock and mccoy um admiral's club baby by Nate AMF15. <laughs> Leaving this five star review because I love the podcast, but also have a desperate need to feel included as a member of the Elite Admirals Club. You so did elite. it, Nate. It's so elite. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe you got in. And lastly, from Stephen Schaefer, cured my IBS. <laughs> That's thank, it. <laughs> thank God. We're helping. So it's everyone. a multi it's a multi purpose uh uh am I peaking? I feel like you are <laughs> usually I'm I taking complain you down. in the opposite taking direction. You down. Just taking slightly. you down. Um, I'm a little sick today, guys. I thought it was an allergy, as many people who irritate me say, no, 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 it's okay if I hug you or shake your hand and everything because I have an allergy. I was convinced it was an allergy. No, I'm not so convinced. Well, it's been a few days, so you're probably dying. It didn't stop Matt and I from attacking the hell out of ourselves at the L.A. Food Fest yesterday. Oh, Coliseum. Oh if you God. weren't there, you missed out on a lot of food that was all for the price of one expensive meal that's true uh, not that well organized at the gate but once you're in yeah you just walk uh, from station to station picking up some delicious foods from various places 
for free. There's a dessert. I mean, it's not you free. Pay. You pay, though. You pay, but... Um, <laughs> you can convince yourself it's for free once you're in. It's free. Well, it is free because Andy uh, hasn't paid me for it yet. Whatever. Oh, I guess it is free. I'm not that guy. <laughs> this is great. Well, I think you're publicly that guy What now. are you talking about? Just, uh, <laughs> for the record. Free I, for some people. I offered to pay him on Venmo and uh, Matthew don't, Myra. I don't have Venmo. Ex-Mac genius Matt Myra refuses to uh, to participate in that particular. I prefer to handle cash uh-huh. for all my uh, sure. needs. Yeah, because he's, he's an old man and an OTB. I like to hang on to the past for as long as possible. Well, I can't dispute that. That's so do me I. doing a podcast about a show that started in 1987. Yep. Um, and the, uh, the only thing I want to talk about before we get off the food fest is yeah. at one point... You get a box and then you fill it with stuff and you wait on lines and you get donuts and whatever. And I, at some point, very early on, like 15 minutes in, I had already stuffed my face so much and I had in my box like two donuts, a, a churro with sauces on it, mm-hmm. a little thing of ice cream, meat. And I said, Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm not pacing myself. I don't know what to do. I can't stop. And he said, oh, I can solve it. And he took the box from me and he threw it in the garbage. I was like, hey. I saved myself. I think my decision to walk around without a box early on, I think, helped me not. Uh, I was so impressed with your restraint. Not, not grab everything in sight and just save it. He was strolling around as calm as can be. Yeah, I, was, I would get in line for things. I was like, ah, I'll try that. And then you just get the one thing and you try it. And I was acting like I was in the apocalypse. Yeah, you really were scavenging for food. Yeah. You were looking for things. Things to make you go. Sure. That's a reference to the Packlids, who you'll see in season two. Things to make me go. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a, a kid's show villain. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll have many theories on it when we get there. Very good. We're so close to getting there. Captain, we are being hailed. I decided to open the hails. Great job. Thanks. Um, first, I'd just like to uh, throw a shout out to Dave Strand, who gave us $20 last week. Um, once again, unasked for. Um, um, who is on the Beer and Battle po- podcast. Beer and Battle. Dave, you, you mentioned your podcast because you probably wanted to plug. And when you sent us $20, think of you as an advertisement. Um, and uh, it's a D&D actual play podcast. So... Uh, if that floats your boat, uh, they're listening to this. It probably floats their boat. No, I don't mean them. They're not. They've already listened to it. I no, mean, I mean the, oh, the other people. Listening oh, to sure. people play Dungeons. Well, that's and why it's is probably very akin to listening to people talk about Star Trek: The Next Generation. If if not more uh, interesting, because it's something they don't know about yet. Right. <laughs> they don't like. All right. Well, what's going to happen in this adventure? They already know what's going to happen in the adventures no. we're discussing. They're spoiled. Guys, don't listen to our podcast. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. Um, okay. Denise Crosby fired is the headline of this next email. <laughs> hey, guys. When Star Trek TNG first aired, some people had commented that we didn't kind of dig into Denise Crosby's exit, which I thought we did, but I guess we didn't. We didn't dig into it enough for the, the, the Star Trek fans out there. Let's hear it. Apparently. What do they got? I was absolutely enthralled with Denise Crosby for two reasons. Uh-huh. I was a 15-year-old boy, and she was in a tight uniform. Um, True. My dad had also had a subscription to Playboy in the May 1988 issue. There was a spread featuring my favorite security chief. What I did not realize at the time was this was a spread that she had originally done in 1979 at the tender age of 19. Oh. I had thought at the time they killed her off because of this, but now I know it was because she didn't want to be there because she was miserable and wanted out. That's from Andrew in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Oh, love Canada. Thanks for writing in. Canada is great. We have a lot of Canadian fans. Um, FYI. Thank God. Yeah. 
Um, okay, here's a uh, here's a voicemail from our friend Katrina in Washington D.C. Ooh, voicemail. Hi, Matt and Andy. This is Katrina calling from Washington D.C. I just thought I'd give you guys a call since I think you guys missed one of the major issues and developments um, with the death of Tasha Yar. It clearly removes one of the major female characters in the series in a very large ensemble cast, which leaves us with just Troy and Crusher. And despite Tasha's limitations, Mm -hmm. she was sort of an alternative model of femininity on the ship. Let's be honest. I love Troy and Crusher, but they're both hyper-feminine. True. And let's be honest, not very capable. We're going to say that again in this episode. They tried to fix this with introducing Dr. Pulaski in the next season, um, but she's kind of universally hated by the fans. I like her. It's really only in the fifth season when they bring around um, Ensign Roe Laren that we sort of get an alternative version of uh, what Ensign it can be to be female in the Star Trek universe. Anyways, I think the gender dynamics are super interesting and in what they say about both, well, the 80s and 90s and their version of the future. Anyway, keep up the good work. I'll keep listening. Bye. Ensign Rowe is one of the I few. I think that's an important I, point of view to share on this podcast. I agree, a hundred percent. It is down to now two ladies who are super ladies. Like they are. By super ladies, I mean super feminine. They are. You know, they chat about boys. They uh, mm-hmm. they uh, talk about headaches. They talk about cramps. It's constant. They talk. I'm not, I'm, I'm not kidding. These are conversations they have in the series, like going on. They, they talk about cramps. They talk about their breasts getting firmer in insurrection. It's like, wait, they're so. They talk about ha- periods in. They talk about menstrual cramps. They talk about. I, I feel like when they're in the when they uh, haven't cured menstrual cramps in the twenty third century, twenty fourth century. I can't. Uh, this is crazy. Can't say what the medical technology is. I, I honestly feel so angered for 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 women everywhere that by the twenty fourth century they haven't solved that. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think that on the other hand they haven't cured baldness either. So there you go. Or they have. Or they gave up on it. No, they have. I'm sure. And it's just now society has moved past. Oh, that. I got you. They're so evolved that they don't need to do that. Got you. Fair enough. Um. But. All it right. does bring the ratio down, but there was there is one too many character, and I don't count Data as a male. Uh, I think he's that's a robot. Fair. Although he did, well, yeah, that doesn't matter. I was going to say he had sex with Tasha, but it's you know he was uh, it, uh, you know gender is fluid. So. Yeah. Um, except with me, it's very it's very rigid and unbending and in in a sometimes upsetting way for me. <laughs> Uh, Amy Dowist, I think I, you gave me the pronunciation at some point, Amy. She's written us before, and I don't remember. I'm sorry. Hi, guys. It's D-A-O-U-S-T. Well, how would you say? I mean, I would read it Dowist, but it could be Dowist, like Diane Weist. Dowst. <laughs> Anyhow, The Littlest Hobo is a show from the CBC. Did you, you do you, a lot of people uh, uh, yelled at us about The uh, Littlest Hobo. Did you... I don't remember mentioning the Littlest Hobo. Did you? I don't know what the Littlest Hobo is. Somebody <laughs> mentioned the Littlest Hobo. This is insane because I have no recollection of this. So I assumed that it had come up. Maybe it was it was a Twitter commentary. That's really weird. Were we just talking about crazy pilots or something? Uh, Could be. I don't do you know. Do you know what the Littlest Hobo is? Uh, I only know that it's a show from the Can- Canadian Broadcasting Company Corporation because. Uh, I saw a tweet. 
Oh, weird. So we're so I'm talking about it in a vacuum. Like, there's no reason for us to talk about this. Well, I assume one of us mentioned it. I didn't mention it because I don't know what it is. I don't remember mentioning it. I could have just said the littlest hobo as a as a as a reference as a as an aside as a colloquialism that I don't know where it came from. Well, whatever the case, uh, she says it was about a German shepherd who traveled around to different towns helping people, kind of like Lassie, but with no Timmy. Maybe in your next uh, email, Amy, you can tell us where this came up. (laughs) Anyone in Canada over a certain age can probably sing the theme song, and she sent the theme song, and I was so amused that uh, here is a little piece. There's a voice that keeps on calling me Down the road, it's where I'll always be Every stop I make I make a new friend Can't stay for long Just turn around and I'm gone again Maybe tomorrow I'll wanna settle down They better say Lilith Hobo in the song I don't think they do keep moving on Down this road but it's another two minutes in the song. <laughs> Do you want me to play the whole thing? <laughs> I mean, if they're not saying, hang on. Hobo style. That's true. Okay, it's enough. I'll take hobo style. Because <laughs> I'm not Bobo the Clown. I'm the littlest hobo, and I'm not going to settle down. That's oh, there what it you go. Be. That's what it should Absolutely. I did it. Let's rewrite that. <laughs> Dear, Dear Canada. Canada. <laughs> okay, let me see now. Six, eight here is another voicemail from a friend in Rhode Island. Hey, Matt and Andy. This is Charlie from Rhode Island. Uh, big fan of the podcast. I'm calling uh, about Matt's point with the preventive preventative maintenance on the dilithium crystals. Star Trek is a military organization, so when you say preventative maintenance, that's like 80% of what anybody in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force is doing during their day. It kind of brings you more into the world, uh, and I think it's a great plot point. Love the show, guys. Keep it up. I hadn't looked at it from that point of view, Mm -hmm. and seeing as I'm always someone who likes the day-to-day operations on board a starship, I will officially change my opinion on the dilithium crystal maintenance. Good job, Charlie. He doesn't often back down. Just did. Dear Matt and Andy, I'm a huge Buck Rogers fan. Gil Gerard was my first crush. Oh, I had put out the question. You did, yes. Who's a Buck Rogers fan out there? Gil Gerard was my first crush when I was four-ish. Imagine a little girl in a big wheel with Wonder Woman underoos and a Buck Rogers helmet. I was saving Earth. Uh, if I know boys like you, Andy, part of your awakening happened in the episode Space Vampire when Wilma is attacked by the Vorvon and then slinks around the space station going after Buck in an 80-yard voice. Every male fan I've ever met said that that uh, vampire Wilma made them feel funny in the pants. Love the podcast. Allison R. Wade. Now, you... You are familiar or you aren't familiar with Buck Rogers? I don't recall. It was, it was, uh, it was before it. your time. Totally aware of it. But, but didn't really watch. No. Um, yeah, I mean, at that episode, uh, interestingly, Wilma Deering was, you know, Aaron Gray was just just the bestest. But uh, really what sticks with me about the Vorvon episode is this incredibly scary Nosferatu-like space vampire that keeps appearing and she's the only one that sees it. It's terrifying and it gave me nightmares. FYI. Space vampire. Really scary. Like Pull up Vorvon Buck Rogers. It's scary. 
Uh, and lastly, um, we got another poem from our friend Robert Harding in the UK. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed his last poem about Wesley. Uh-huh. This one's uh, a little farewell to um, Tasha Yar. Oh. Yeah. Uh, let me just find it. Oh, dear. Did you lose it? I had all my things open, but I had to travel and something happened. All right, vamp for a second. All right. The episode, We'll Always Have Paris, is a piece of shit. (laughs) Wait, I vamped. (laughs) Very direct vamping. All right, here it is. It's a fact of life that there is a season for all things to come to an end. Sometimes we only get the one to be introduced to a shiny new friend. In the end, fate must inevitably come looking and solemnly knock at our door. Frankly, there are countless reasons. For example, if our character development is unforgivably poor, perhaps it was simply your time to leave us. I mean, maybe you could have brought up rape camps less often out of the blue, but... (laughs) Perhaps people were uncomfortable knowing that boning data was something you like to do. But the fact is you have now left us, and we can't find the right words to say. Not because we will miss you so dearly. Clearly it's because we can't really remember your name. Oh sweet, sweet Natasha Yar. If we're being honest, your career didn't go all that far I find the thought of what happened next doesn't cross my mind because Denise Crosby I find that no one really knows who you are see Patrick Stewart was already well known on the theatrical Shakespeare scene Jonathan Frakes he took up directing suspecting to find respect the other side of the screen Brent Spiner for pistachio disguisey he he played Robert Kirkman's <laughs> creepy did. ass demon too they asked him to return for Enterprise. I thought and tried to work out the last time anyone got sight of you. Now, now I'm not saying you're not talented, and it's not like your character didn't have any depth. I, I think they just didn't know what to do with you and think it through. Death probably seemed like the only option left. But you didn't need to go quite so pathetically. Regrettably killed by some grumpy tar beast with a grudge. You were there one minute, then gone the next. I suspect it was a decision which they made over lunch. And yes, I know it's not your fault, and that the lines you read were crap, and I can't blame you for walking out on us. I'm just glad you always, always, like it actually feels like almost every season afterwards, that you came wandering back. Because the episodes you starred in posthumously were really a whole lot better than all of those from before. And Andy, that's not a spoiler, trust me, Matt already mentioned this and much more. <laughs> Our blonde-headed bruiser, Tasha Yar. Your character was at best under par. I find the thought of what happens next doesn't cross my mind, because Denise Crosby, I find that no one really cares who you are. Now, I promise I'm not trying to be mean. For comedy's sake, I'm not being sadistically coarse. It's just that if you're being honest with self... I think you know that you're not nearly as cool as Worf. There you go. That was delightful. It was great. Denise Crosby's on Ray Donovan now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my God. Maybe we'll run into her in the lot. Oh, wow. 
That'd be oh, amazing. Boy. Hey, what what's if, up, Denise Crosby? What if Denise Crosby was our first guest? Come be on our show. That'd be exciting. Uh, um, keep the poems coming. Those are those are really they're really great, Robert. Thank you. Although I, I he says he at some point he said he reads them in pubs, and I I question whether the Star Trek themed oh. specific. Uh, Maybe he does those for us. Could be. Well, I'm almost positive. By the way, he said, there are accidentally birds tweeting in the background, but I guess that's because I recorded it on the Hologram Hillside Memorial. Exactly. (laughs) Um, That's it for... Do you think in the holodeck you can drown out the Enterprise engine noise? Oh, you must be able to, right? Yes. I'm going to just say yes. I say maybe because there's like... Maybe there's a... Bose noise canceling situation in there. <laughs> Is Bose still kicking in the 24th century, huh? Good, uh, good, good uh, corporate planning on their part. Commander, fix the Bose. <laughs> I'm getting some kind of buzzing. Does anyone hear the buzzing? Um, yeah. Anyway, I just yeah. I, no. I mean, I'm, about that, I think in any of the politic episodes, we don't hear the thing in the background. Correct. But I do wonder, I wonder if we should. I wonder if in any of the jazz clubs in any of these situations, if all the the jazzy saxophone is just added with holiday for ambiance. What do you mean? Uh, every time they go into some scenario where it's the twenties or whatever, it's yeah. always like. Nah, nah, nah. Oh, you're saying whatever score is happening for the episode? Yeah, if the holiday is the holiday is providing that. Uh-huh. Oh, maybe. Frequencies closed, sir. Now I'm really glad for the eerie um, <laughs> Tasha Yar thing because that is that is the last word we hear her say as Tasha Yar. Wow. Oop. And um, and it makes sense that it's ghostly. So good job, Christopher Clement or Clement. It's in front of me. He gave me the thing and it's in front of me and I wrote it down and I still got it wrong. <laughs> That's Andy. That's me. That's what we all. Tolerate. And we almost have it all. I'm done with my portion. Oh, well, it's time to start the show talk then. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about We'll Always Have Paris, which is an episode that is directed by none other than Robert Becker. It aired the week of May 2nd, 1988, which was star date 41697.9. What was happening in the world at that point, Andy? Matt, U.S. radio audiences were listening to Wishing Well by Terrence Trent Darby. And the U.K. listeners preferred, with a little help from my friend slash she's leaving home by Wet, Wet, Wet. I don't know if I have that. Was that a mashup? What was that? I don't know. Never heard it. David Mamet's Speed the Plow debuted on Broadway, starring Joe Mon... Tanya? Tanya, Madonna, and Ron Silver. Uh, I saw that. Oh, you saw that play? And I was, uh, I'm ashamed to say, both a Madonna fan, definitely Ron Silver and Joe Mantegna fan, and a David Mamet fan. So I was real excited. Um, That's pretty cool. It was great. They were all amazing. Relief pitcher Neftali Feliz. Yes. And that correctly, currently the Milwaukee Brewers, was born. Oh my god uh, He was named uh, American League Rookie of the Year in 2010 After becoming the youngest player ever to record uh, To ever uh, record a save during the World Series Wow 
Time Magazine featured an image of Michael Dukakis with the caption, The Duke, Can He Unite the Democrats? Some perfect music for Michael Dukakis. Yeah. <laughs> the Duke. I've never not I've never wanted to not turn off a song so much. No, oh, you can leave it going the whole podcast if you want. Right beside river boat <laughs> What's funny is when you turned it up, you the, also... Also the, uh, <laughs> the engine noise. So it kind of sounded like we were, we were zooming outside no, this the is us. This is No, here's what's happening. We are walking, we're walking down the hallway towards engineering. <laughs> what the hell is LaForge doing down there? <laughs> he is jamming out in that Jeffrey's tube. Where is that coming from? <laughs> oh, boy. We have fun. So, uh, Robert Becker directed, written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shearer. No story by, so they got the written by uh, credit solely. Hmm. I'm kind of bummed out that it's two women that wrote this episode. I was actually just going to say, that's very strange. Because I was thinking before, with the Tashi R issue, in terms of the underdeveloped aspect of her character... I would I would love to interview the the uh, the female writers on the show and and ask if they were you know because on a on a show where the the top of the pyramid is male mm-hmm. um, even if you know those those people feel that they're enlightened they're making the final decisions about the direction the story's going and the characters going and I feel like it bends the characters in a very sp- specific perspective so i wonder if they felt like we didn't want to do that with tasha or if they felt like no that was how tasha should be interesting interesting question <sighs> that was a badly formed thought but everybody i think i knew what you it. meant yeah all right so here's the plot synopsis from the star trek the next generation companion revised edition by larry namachek it reads while the ship is traveling to serona seven for shore leave, a bizarre time loop distortion causes a literal deja vu effect on the Enterprise. Soon after this, the ship receives a distress signal from Dr. Paul Mannheim's science outpost on Vandor 4. They rescue Mannheim and his wife Janice, who turns out to be an old love of Picard's, but the nonlinear time experiments Mannheim and his now dead team were conducting not only ended in disaster on Vandor, but were responsible for the disturbance that the Enterprise experienced earlier. Those disturbances now threaten to spread and rip open the international fabric of space. Mannheim himself is dying since his body can't deal with the strain of being partial of a partial interdimensional existence. On top of that, Picard's unresolved feelings for Janice. Uh, he stood up her he stood her up in Paris to ship out with Starfleet twenty years twenty two years ago, are left hanging by a therapeutic session on the holodeck. Even Dr. Crusher finds herself jealous of Janice. Is it Janice? Mm, sounds closer than what's yeah. in my head. It's definitely not Janice. Uh, finally, using Mannheim's directions, Data beams into the Vandor lab to reseal the center of the dimensional breach with a hunk of antimatter. <laughs> Although he finds himself in three time continuums at once, he sorts it all out and succeeds. Mannheim is instantly cured, and he and Janice prepare to begin his work again. And this time, thanks to Parisian holodeck program, Picard's give, Picard gives Janice a proper goodbye. This uh, this episode sucks <laughs> from top to bottom. <laughs> oh, hang on. 
Those I have more. some information about this. Oh, you also didn't say whether they should watch this or not. Don't. It should be amusing. Uh, here's, again, from Larry. Uh, if the story doesn't quite come off as another Casablanca, the source for the episode's title... It's not surprising. Sheer and her friend Deborah Dean Davis, who originally pitched the idea, wrote the script on five days' notice. You know. Aiming for an utterly romantic story, but she says the teleplay was toned down 75%. There you go. It mm-hmm. addresses my point immediately. Amazing. They wanted to have it be a specific thing, and then it became something else. And so as a result, the whole episode is like waffling between everything it's not an interesting sci-fi issue the crisis is bullshit yep and this romantic story is also bullshit and her character this woman that that is like we're supposed to believe jean-luc picard our great jean-luc picard is in love with this woman you know michelle phillips did a fine job with what she was given mm-hmm. but it's like she's could not be I more have, paper thin i might have some more information to help you here all right go ahead uh, as late as the final draft dated February 22nd, Janice's name was Laura. Riker was Picard's fencing partner. Paul Hanheim was much more of a loose cannon. Picard and Janice spent a night together, and Troy confronted Beverly about her feelings for the captain, which she had not yet sorted out. The crew reversed the Mannheim effect by first bypassing a multi-level laser-guided security system. Worf then held open a door to cool an overheated silo-like power room while Riker scaled the tower to switch out a chip that data input commands to the system below. Uh, chip and data input. Not data the character, but actual data. Got it. Uh, completed just a week before filming began, the revised script suffered again when the Writers Guild strike of 1988 shut down production of the climactic scene. This makes so much sense. Data's repair of the ripped time stream in Mannheim's lab because the dialogue uh, and special effects had not yet been tied down. We just ran out of script, Legato recalls. It was one of those, we'll fix it when we get there uh, things, and suddenly, when we were there and the writer was out on the picket lines... (laughs) Yeah. The director had never worked with effects before. <laughs> That's amazing. I had to do it. I ran over to Rick Berman's trailer and said, we're out of script. We spent 40 minutes. We got the writer on the phone and Rick would say, well, if you weren't on strike, the character might say this and the writer would say yes or no. Oh, my God. I had to make up the direction on the spot. I came out with handwritten notes. I figured out how to shoot the three datas in different time streams with a whip pan instead of an effect shot. This is Legato? This is from Legato, yeah. Sheer and others complained about the lack of chemistry between Janice and Jean-Luc, diluting the story's romantic feel, but Michelle Phillips, who played Janice, felt the problem lay in the story's conception. While her character wanted to see Picard again and was quite willing to tease him, she was also fully committed to her husband and had been for a long time. Totally. Phillips, an original Trek fan who was, once, uh, who was one of the mamas and the papas, uh, talks about her roles. Uh, Lance Spielberg, Spellberg, who plays the transporter chief, appeared a year later as the same transporter chief in the Icarus Factor. Oh, he came back. And the matte painting of 24th century Paris, seen in the holodeck, nicely combines the old Eiffel Tower with the new anti grav craft flying by, would later be used outside of Federation President's office in Star Trek VI. I was, uh, I have so many different things to say, but since we're on the issue of... This, by the way, is 
quite possibly the best explanation I've ever heard for why an episode wasn't good. So true. And also, I feel kind of vindicated in that all the things that I thought were in play were in play, except for the writer strike, which I had forgotten, which yeah. is another factor. But also the aspect of their time was so short, I bet, because it's 23rd episode of the season. Yeah. And as soon as in a, in a TV season, as soon as you get toward the end, if you'll notice, there's always a couple of fucking terrible episodes toward the end. And then the, the, the finale, which they put more attention to, is, is usually more solid because they're like, all right, just, just come up with an idea. We got to we gotta shoot uh-huh. something else because so much all the problems have collapsed the schedule toward the end. So um, all that makes much more sense. That's a bit uh, very heartwarming to hear that. It's not their fault. Yeah. Um, and that even Michelle Phillips was just like, look, the problem Captain is this. Captain's Stardate 41697.9. We're en route to Sarona 8 for much needed shore leave. The entire crew is looking forward to the diversion. On a personal note, I have allowed myself the luxury of a head start. Wouldn't it have been way better if he was fencing with... Riker. Riker? Why is it this guy? I took advantage. I don't know. Played by Dan Curran, who, honestly, there could not be... Nothing against Dan Curran. I haven't looked up his credits, but uh, there could not be a more obtrusive-looking person <laughs> for him to pull off. It's like it's just like... He looks like he's sweating. He's like looks a little bit freaked out. It's yeah, just but like, it's like what's... you're also like expecting to see someone we know. You're expecting to see... Sure. Uh really anyone but him yeah and you know it's good like later there's a scene in the late episode late seasons where picard is fencing again but he's fencing with guinan oh that's even that's cool and it's like oh well that makes sense um she's got that crazy hat wait is she wearing the hat i don't remember <laughs> be amazing. i wonder who's underneath it she's still wearing the guinan hat <laughs> Um, I don't know much about Guinan. I think I may have seen like a single episode with Guinan. She's an Alorian. All right. They live to be very old. Fair enough. The advantage was yours. Come again. Thank you. A lot of weird interaction in this scene also between them. Because they're strangers. Oh, God. <laughs> I wonder what Lieutenant Dean's job on the ship is. By the way, why have... I just why have a, an actual fencing space on board a starship? Is this not the holodeck? I no, assumed it was is, the holodeck. This is, this it was just a crappy me, holodeck. This appears to be uh, just a fencing room. That's weird. Because he, you know, he keeps his sword in there. Remember, like he, when he's putting his sword away. Oh, I thought that was in his quarters. No, that was in the fencing town. Hmm. Interesting. Sir. <laughs> I'm going down to fencing town. Technique going down all the way down down to fencing town. <laughs> Interesting moves, sir. Won't you take me to what technique was that? Fencing town. Technique of a desperate man. Captain, what was that? So the moment repeats. Picard to bridge. Captain. And we think something Number interesting one. is going to happen. Did something unusual just occur on the bridge. But it's just misdirection because yes, nothing interesting some happens. Some kind of loop where everything repeats itself. It happened down here in Fencing Town as well. I'm on my way. I've never experienced anything like it in Fencing Town. I'm coming up to the bridge, and I'm not changing. Be prepared. 
he he is weirdly like hitting his like he's doing some weird acting work with that towel at one point where he's repeatedly hitting it against his other hand he is it's very strange it's very strange you, uh, one must use a prop <laughs> it is classic shakespearean training I repeat, this is dr paul Mannheim. we are in need of help urgent all ships please respond i repeat coordinates are six six seven two eight point nine by seven zero seven five it is an automated signal sir i am unable to establish contact this is dr Paul shut it off Manhunt. mr forge laying a course on those coordinates aye sir captain you act as if there's a connection between the time distortion and the distress signal there is how cool is this episode like promising to be with this cold open enough to work on experiments relating to non-linear time it appears you may have achieved some measure of success speed warp 8 I sir warp 8 engage I do like a warp 8 or a warp 9 it's always when Picard's like really amped into something he orders warp 8 or 9 this ties into an emotional situation for me in the past warp 8 um Side note, yeah, I'm just it's just such an example of how badly written or or you know rushed this episode was. Mm-hmm. I was certain that we were going to come back to the fencing scene as a loop, a time loop. Oh sure, you're thinking of the episode <laughs> cause and effect though. Is that that's after this, right? That is much after this. That's uh, well. That's the other thing is I was just like, this is such prime, great, and and budgetarily doable. Like uh, yeah. Star Trek um, um, uh, territory, and uh, it's just completely what are some other ways we'd, we'd have fixed the writer strike for them? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, good job on Legato. Like, uh, good on him. Like, on the phone trying to figure out a, a moral way to solve the problem with the writer <laughs> would running onto the set that the director has, doesn't know how to do effects. It's do you crazy. Think the character would say this. No. Okay. How about this? Yes. I mean, it's amazing. What if the character would say, "What's up?" No. Okay. Uh, you sure? <laughs> how about how about hey howdy hey? How about ahoy hoy? <laughs> Just going through horrible. Like, he's trying phrases. to establish a, a Star Trek catchphrase over the phone during the writer's strike. <laughs> you really could have taken that opportunity to get in. Uh, what if uh, would Data say? Uh, fuck it, I'm out. Didn't <laughs> <laughs> serve his own purposes. Minutes, Seventeen seconds. I've never heard of Paul Mannheim, Mister Data. They are a steamroller. They play Christmas music. <laughs> no, no, Mister Data. Respected scientist, considered a vision. Accessing. <laughs> he advanced several time-related theories. One regarding the relationships between time and gravity was quite intriguing, but neither that theory nor any other received wide acceptance. Fifteen years ago, Here he goes. assembled a team of scientists table hitting. to expand that research. It disappeared. Haven't been heard from since. Did you know him, Captain? I think that's him? maybe maybe Patrick Stewart trying Paris, to be like, hey, I have some other stuff going on in right. my head, so yeah. I'm going to do this out-of-character situational uh, thing hitting. And by thing hitting, I mean towel, towel hitting. hitting. He's very, yeah. All right, so 
Let's see what happens when Counselor Troy springs into action. <laughs> Go on. When Professor Mannheim's name was mentioned, you reacted with intense emotion. Yes, please get to the point. I don't want to interfere with your personal life, but unresolved strong emotion can affect judgment. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your concern. As ship's counselor, I offer my assistance. Does she got to do that every time she says, is saying Confronting you should talk to me? It's not her fault. There was a writer's strike. Oh, I'm not blaming Marina. There are a few hours until we arrive. Perhaps you should use this time to analyze your feelings and put them into perspective. Thank you, Counselor. If I should need you further, I'll let you know. Fencing town. Putting the sword away in fencing town. Uh, so he decides to go to the holodeck. Uh-huh. Where he... I do like his ridiculously specific uh, description to the computer. Home spring day. Oh, let me take it back a step. Computer, this is Captain Picard. Holodeck 3 is clear. Did the computer know? Location Paris. Café des Artistes. As it appeared... 22 years ago, April the 9th, 1500 hours, 3 o'clock, warm spring day. Program complete. How old is Picard supposed to be? Um, I think when he takes command of the Enterprise, he's supposed to be in his 50s. I'm going to check that. Uh, like, because I can get an exact age on him thanks to many times on screen you're seeing their records and you um, make him like 28-ish when, he was, when this happened just kind of old to be but if you're weird... done with uh, you know you're done with uh, the academy finally you're out you're does it take that long they're at like 28 when they finish the academy I mean I feel like they're 22 when they get into it right they have to go to college first I so thought being a doctor I thought so um all right, Cat Picard's age. He was born July thirteenth, twenty three oh five, in France, uh, and he took command of the Enterprise D in twenty three sixty four. Hmm. Let me do the math. He's uh, fifty nine years old. What are you doing? So he's 241 years old. Uh, so he's theoretically 59 years old when he takes command of the Enterprise. What? They're saying he's 59? That's what they're saying. That's crazy town. He was born that is in 2309. That's what that is. Well, it's also crazy, too, because, like, when he, you know, when... He was, like, 46 or something, right? Nemesis happens. He's uh, still in command of the Enterprise, and it's the year is 2379. Uh-huh. So he's 74 years old as in command of the Enterprise. In Nemesis. In Nemesis. Yeah. I guess, I guess the argument is that you that all the all the health, all the medicines. And yeah, I mean you're going to live to be 120, whatever. Right. So I guess that makes sense. Uh, Patrick Stewart, when he took command of, however, the that cast, would make him even older. That would make him in his 30s when he had that that situation. True. So that's completely ridiculous. Uh, oh, I mean, however, it does support my 
my theory. Patrick Stewart, when more. he took command of the cast of Star Trek, when he joined the cast, he was uh, he was forty seven years old. Uh huh. Also born July thirteenth. That weird. guy. Weird that him and Captain Picard have the same birthday. Who's more well preserved than uh, Patrick Stewart? Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Fair enough. <laughs> Came up with that real quick. <laughs> uh, he's he. How old is Samuel Jackson? Uh, he's ageless. He well, truly, truly ageless. Ageless. He's an ageist. He's an age. He's sixty-eight years old. Really? Yeah. Jesus. Born in nineteen forty-eight. Holy crap! <laughs> so that's my answer to that question, uh, but only slightly. What do they have in common? Bald. Yeah, it's true. That's the thing. It's yeah. like him and Steve Martin there's, going white early. Right. There's not. There's no marker. There's no like delineation. But Steve Martin's face has gotten. I love. I love you, Steve Martin. If any <laughs> wild improbability you were hearing this, um, but uh, his face has gotten puffier over time. Bill Murray has has yeah, remained similar true. looking more over time than he Steve has, Martin. He has indeed. Um, but again, Steve Martin's seventy one. Right. Just saying. What are you saying? Also well preserved. Uh, it's I'm, what I'm saying is it's good to go bald or gray, right? And some people don't allow either to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as second I can afford hair plugs, I'm getting them. Um, <laughs> Monsieur, welcome to the Café des Artistes. Is this your first time in Paris? When I my first reaction watching the scene was oh. France doesn't change at all. That's exactly what France is like. <laughs> right. They always ask you if it's your first time in Paris. <laughs> oh, yeah. They always welcome you in. The um, the uh, the Eiffel Tower? Yeah. What is that thing under the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> that friggin' fuel pipeline they put under the Eiffel Tower? Well, you Tower. know the bridge that leads uh-huh. towards it. What I'm assuming is they've covered that. Covered the and bridge. it's for trains or Does something? Does it go under, though? I've never. I don't know that I've been under the. Does Eiffel a train towers. go under the bridge now? No, no, not a train. The but bridge? the walkway. The walkway. The bridge. You can walk under the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Well, you used to be able to. But I guess all I'm saying terrorists. is I have to assume, knowing knowing the French, uh, the Parisian sensibility, they would never ever allow a giant weird metal tube to be built under the Eiffel Tower. I don't know. They let a giant weird metal uh, pyramid be built in front of the Louvre. In the 80s. Fair enough. Thank you. Ah, yes. The view. (laughs) What's happening? I can't see. He's just staring at the Eiffel Tower and all the flying tiny ships. Gotcha. Some wine? Some cheese? I'm not very hungry. Some absinthe? I really came for the view. Perhaps what you hang for is not on the menu. Is that a good Perhaps French not. accent? It was many years ago. I had a rendezvous. It's heavy. I was to meet someone. Someone. Here, at that very table. Your young lady, she did not come. That's very presumptuous. Actually, I don't know. I always imagined that she did. You, however, did not. Ah. It is you who is well, piece of shit. Trust Edouard. 
I will bring something very special just for you. Meanwhile, why don't you ogle these young ladies? Fan, you go. We can start talking now because they have finished talking. No! After last night, I know you will. I just know Then you would be here. You are making a fool out of yourself, and I will not watch. I gotta say, the girl that they pick for him to be staring at is much more hotsy totsy than you usually see on Star Trek. Oh, with the uh, midriff showing situation? Yeah, and the cleavage and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's sort of, it's a little unsettling to have him sort of sitting there smiling silently. I think that's just the way the Parisians do Paris. I guess that is true. It's very Parisian. Captain? We've received communication from the freighter Lala. Oh, as well as you skipped over? I thought you were going to keep playing. Well, what do you want to hear? Well, you know, all i got to say is... Uh, this woman complaining? Yeah. Well, I want to hear him him talking to her to at away? 19... At 10.30-ish. Maybe. Yeah, that's about it. Let's go, huh? We've waited long enough. Fine, you go. I'll stay a little longer. He's not coming, Gabriel. No! After last night, I know he will. I just know Then he would be here. You are I wonder what happened last yourself, night. And yeah. I will not watch. We finally finished the 3,000 piece puzzle. Do we know each other? <laughs> no. The way you look at me, do I remind you of someone? Celine Dion. No. Oh. <laughs> yes. You do somewhat. He's not coming. Why? What did I do to drive him away? I feel like the computer's kind of fucking Maybe with him. you did nothing. Maybe you had no choice. Maybe, Maybe. he was afraid. Of what? Of me? He did not understand oh, what... of being connected, rooted. Sexuality. You are. He doesn't know yet exactly what it is he wants to do. He's not that young. Maybe. He's in his 30s. Enough of this self-indulgence. So, really, I just want to tag on the usual, the Andy's theory about Picard, which is all this is like, I don't, I don't know. Why did I not, why did I not hook up with this young lady? Mm-hmm. I feel like this was the last time in Picard's life he even entertained having sex with another human being. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I think that he decided no, and that's why when this girl is asking these questions about, but why, uh, he was a Afraid. He, he didn't want to feel, quote, connected, oh. etc. Interesting. I'm not even going to get to the themes because I have a couple of other things in the oh, show. Oh, boy, I can't wait. It degrees, nine minutes north. Longitude, 40 degrees, two minutes east of the present Terminator. Penetrable. No, sir. See, they tease getting right. a really cool episode where the Terminator is there. That's right. <laughs> they, the Terminator is mentioned. <laughs> very here, close but, to the Terminator. Yeah. What is the Terminator? Do you know what that technical term means? Uh, or they're just, no, I don't. That was just because it was the whole episode was written in five minutes. There was, somebody saw a poster for Terminator. I think that uh, an accidentally a page for Terminator got slipped in. <laughs> we'll use this. This is already passed. <laughs> this is WGA approved. This is, Captain, this is the captain of the USS Enterprise responding to your call for help. Enterprise, thank you for hearing us. Where are you? We're in orbit around Vandor now. Then you can help me. I I don't know what to do. It's only the two of us left. 
He's having convulsions. Please. Can you lock onto her coordinates? No, sir. The force field is preventing any kind of contact other than audio. There is a force field at your location. Yes, I know. Good. But it is preventing us from helping you. Now, you must try to find some way to shut it down. I'll try. Force field is off. Good. Lock onto their coordinates. Beam them up directly to sickbay. Dr. Crusher, prepare for a medical emergency. Two to beam directly up to sickbay. We'll be ready, Captain. That's where I'll be. Number one, Mr. Data. All right. So we're now 15 minutes into this episode. Side uh, issue I just uh, found on uh, Memory Alpha. John Paul Vignon, the actor playing the waiter in the Café d'Artiste, is the only actor, main actor, supporting actor, playing a French person in TNG who actually speaks French as a first language. Uh, so that may be why it sounds so out of place in, in Star Trek. Because <laughs> he's actually French. Oui. 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 Um, can I ask, because this was confusing to me. Even I hope after, I can answer it. Even Andy. after the fact, and of course the answer will be because the episode was written in 13 minutes. Um, why does Picard do this weird, like not identifying himself to Janice. I think he wants to just see her in person first. Isn't that going to make happen what happens, which is make it a much more dramatic, ridiculous scene? Well, I think, you know, it's they're showing, not telling. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. I think we can all agree that Captain Picard is uh, socially awkward around <laughs> <Fair> females. <laughs> I think that and is does not really know how to behave around them. Right. Fair he enough. He gets within himself. He thinks too much. He uh, probably posits many theories as to what he should do and why what he's going to do is going to be the wrong thing to do, and then ends up doing whatever he thought was going to be the right thing, which ends up actually being the wrong thing. Jesus, I relate to everything you just I said like so said. much. I was describing Why don't you. We sit down. Man. You said that there were only two of you left. What happened to the rest of the crew? They were working at the second lab. Something happened there a few weeks ago. Weird staging in this. Uh, if you're watching the episode at home, uh, go to 1649 when they enter the room. Uh, it, I, th- I find it very odd that Riker decides... Oh, she's going to sit down. I'm going to go sit on the sit other on side the other of side. the fucking 100%. table. A hundred percent, totally very weird. weird blocking. Which I kind of in my head felt like was some kind of weird power move because Riker's all all discombobulated I because there's yeah, this exactly. ex romantic. He's, he's got interest. some competition. Yeah, Riker's feelings are Crusher's feelings. Definitely, we're all killed. That would should have been what the episode was about. It was a terrible accident. I, I don't know exactly what happened. So many brilliant, wonderful minds just gone. Do you know the nature of Dr. Mannheim's work? Paul's always been interested in time. He's never believed that it was immutable any more than space is immutable. Over the last decade, he came to believe that we reside in one of infinite dimensions. It's a very old theory. here is the constancy of time. Change that and it would be what he called opening the window to those other dimensions. Which begins to explain what happened. Have you been experiencing something up here? Yes. 
Or the emanating here is having repercussions light years away, maybe even further. That would explain his anxiety. I had no idea it had gone so far beyond Vandor. Why this place? Why Vandor? All I can tell you about that is that Paul and the rest of the team searched for two years to find it. Vandor is exactly what they needed. A planetoid around a binary star. Because of the dense gravity of the pulsar. Did your husband ever attempt to define these dimensions, give you an idea of what he expected? No. It's so vague. Everything's so, vague. so fucking vague. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, like, I like the idea of, like, uh, you know, Riker climbing some sort of tall thing to put in a data chip. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Seems like a fun thing. Anyway. Um, I had something at 1950. Is that around where you were? 1950. Are we talking about when uh, Crusher enters the room? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, excuse me. Is he worse? He's resting. But I'd like you to undergo some tests yourself. My nurse will start them. Thank you for your kindness, doctor. Oh, that pause. That, what was a kiss on the cheek? She's an old friend. I gathered that. It's her husband I'm more concerned with at the moment. What's the prognosis? I believe he's dying. His neurochemistry has been affected, but I don't know how or why. I've never encountered anything like that. <laughs> There's it some good Brent Spiner background acting there. It's hard to predict. All I can do is maintain him or attempt to maintain him until I find out what's causing the damage. Can we talk to him? Not now. Not yet. That's all. I don't know how or why I've never experienced anything like it. It's just classic uh, Beverly um, not being on top of the situation. Listen, it's a medical mystery. She doesn't know what's going on. That was something that was pointed out to me was there was a critique. I'm sorry to the listener uh, who was sort of saying, was, you know, commenting on that. Do I think that every medical problem is solved immediately? And uh, I don't. But I do believe that on par, Beverly is given a medical problem and uh, works on it for some time. Mm-hmm. And whenever we check back in with her at the second and third time, it's always like, I've made no progress. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. So, um, so I just, uh, I stand by that. And as a matter of fact, let me, uh, let me just uh, jump ahead so I'm not uh, repeating myself to uh, when she does that later in the show. Go ahead. When Troy comes in. Vienna. I wanted to see how he was doing. The same. Nothing I do seems to make any difference. That's not why you're here. Be funny if yeah. Troy walked over and pulled the cap off her hypo spray. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, thank thank you, Troy. Explains a lot. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. The thing I do seems to work. I've been jamming him with this for hours. Here. Oh, right. Yes, of course. The cap. I've got to go. Um. So whatever. Then we see something cool, which is another time loop where we see two Riker, Picard, and Data's, which the whole show should have been this this kind of moment. Incidentally, Captain. The effects of the time distortions are now being felt in the Illicom system. 
It's us before we step into the turbulent. It's happening again. I feel it no is happening again. Nor do I. What was that? I believe what could be termed as the Mannheim effect is becoming more pronounced. This is where we started. If we are us. Oh, we are us, sir. But they are also us. So indeed, we are both us. At different points along the same time continuum. I like that neck crook to look into the turbo lift before they get in. Yeah. Anyway, that's um, just some of the fun you'll have here on now, Star Trek. Now, do you Trek. understand the science that they're even implying here? No. Okay. It doesn't make doesn't a add ton up. of sense. Right. Uh, what are you up to? Because I also had a... Uh, up to my ears in shitty Star Trek. Yeah. We don't have to go into it, but uh, I was at 24, just Chief Herbert. Um <laughs> Uh, the appearance of a of a I don't what is this fifth sixth chief engineer? Is, this is a ch- transporter chief. Oh, that's different, huh? Yes, interesting. Yeah, so he doesn't count as a chief engineer. No, he's a transporter chief, like Chief O'Brien is, and you'll see more of Chief O'Brien as the show goes on. Does Chief O'Brien become the chief engineer? No, he becomes the chief engineer or the chief of operations on Deep Space Nine. He's the chief engineer there. Uh huh. He leaves the Enterprise to go do that. What is his top rank on the Enterprise? He's an enlisted crew member. Really? So he's he's a non-commissioned officer. Uh huh. So he's the chief petty officer. Wow, that guy really raised through the ranks. So he basically was a position of all these other schmoes that have had these side side parts. Yeah. And uh, and he made it. He made it. He became the chief uh, engineer on board the Defiant and chief uh, of operations on board uh, D-Space-9. It's kind of interesting how essentially the... <laughs> The rank of the person, which in the military is you're sort of trying to climb through the ranks, yeah. is the equivalent of, as an actor, trying to get kind of more juicy front and center parts on a show. I don't see the equivalency. Well, the equivalency is this guy raised through the ranks, and as he raised through the ranks, he became a, a regular player on DS9. Oh, so a literal just for Kalmini. Yeah, for Kalmini, yeah. <laughs> That's the equivalency. Yeah, sure, yeah. I can see that, yeah. You got more stuff to do. Got more money. Sure. Uh, oh, so you wanted to mention him as the chief engineer, but he wasn't the chief engineer. So now we'll go to Beverly Crusher in mid medical crisis. Unless By the way, before we go, well, which which is contrary to the argument between um, Shatner and uh, Takei, where George Takei wanted to be a captain of another ship, mm-hmm. and and uh, Shatner was like. But the actions on the Enterprise. Why do you want to be the captain of another ship? And you can see both of what both the subtext of both of what they're saying yeah. is. But <laughs> it's interesting. He wanted to be promoted away from the action. <laughs> I got to agree with uh, Shatner, though. Sure, crazy. However, however, for, it for the out. mythology, it worked out. George Takei will always be a captain. A captain. So it just depends what you value. It also like I mean maybe I mean it worked out in the sense that he knew the, the I mean in the sense that that's the last movie anyway with that crew. It's true. So yeah. Anyway, sorry. I am not fine, Denise. I'm not even close to fine. <laughs> so bad performance by this guy. No, he's. I feel like he's in some sort of temporal echo. Yeah, and that's why his voice is being. I couldn't weird. tell. I kept going back and forth. 
I kept, I kept thinking, oh, I think he's doing a good job. And then I'd be like, yeah, it's a so little So if you really look the at the root of this episode, right? Uh-huh. There's this one problem, which is this guy's experiments are, are, are moving, right? Uh-huh. Right. So all they have to do is shut down the experiments. Mm-hmm. What's weird about this episode is they don't try to do anything except the end result. Like, there's no attempt at shutting it down that doesn't work. Uh-huh. There is only shut it down. It worked. Right. And there was so much time in the middle of this episode devoted to nothing. Well, that's, I think, where the main problem is, is this could have been an awesome episode if you were going to take a lot of time on really getting into an, the emotional background of Picard and, and how he relates in you know human relationships that aren't Starfleet in the environment of Starfleet um, and all that stuff. And it was dedicated to that, but it was all terrible. Right. <laughs> so... Therefore, you have an episode with nothing. We have unfinished business. Yes, we do. Why didn't you come to meet me that last day in Paris? I was afraid. Oh, I didn't want this. What? The truth. Oh, you want me to lie? Of course. <laughs> nice, soft. Painless lie. Oh, I got the days confused. I thought it was Tuesday when it was Wednesday. I went to the Café Moulin instead of the Café des Artistes. Ah, that's better. It was raining and you couldn't find a cab. Mm-hmm. That is some good human Picard right there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. That he can play along and just be a normal person. Yeah, just... She's messing with him, mess back a little bit. I wish that uh, this was developed uh, more. I don't know. Oh, we didn't even play the scene where Troy is talking to Beverly about her feelings. I, it might be after this, but that's. I think that's right after when I do the when I played the thirty-one. Nothing I seem to do makes any difference. I think you're right. Absolutely. So if you want to go here a minute go. after that, that's not why you're here. I thought I was the empath. Bazinga. Bazinga. <laughs> Are you all right? Why wouldn't I be? I've got one of the medical wonders of the galaxy dying in my sick bed. And I can't even take the cap off a hypo spray. I, <laughs> I don't think I want to talk about what I think you mean. Captain Picard. I can't compete with a ghost from his past. No one could. She's not a ghost. She's here right now. Are you hissing? She may be in here and <laughs> Stay away from the ghost. <laughs> I guess I just... I don't understand. So I guess, I guess Beverly is sort of talking to Troy because she knows Troy knows what she's feeling. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Beverly's even talking to Picard like she has a right to be pissy with him. And it's like, wh- who, have we established... As far no. as I know, uh, no. Picard's never done anything except be the same autistic, weird, shutdown person with her, like with occasional moments of, oh, is something going on? Like in The Naked Now, where he has some weird hiccups. <laughs> 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 but outside of that, it's like, and even when they're in the in the in the weird, um, I mean, it's like land a lost. It's like a runner. They have, they have a runner in the room of Picard and 
But have they ever played it out to a degree where she should be I think they were heading that way, but they never got there. And then this was another sort of situation where they were like, let's do that again. And Uh didn't quite get the time or the real estate to develop it. But they had all the real estate in the world in this episode. And it's a classic thing. As I think I've said before, there's usually a tendency, which is reasonable, to not want to spend that much time on side characters and if there's emotional turns, move it to your main characters. And this is a perfect example of let's bring Beverly more into it. So it's more about Picard and Beverly than it is about Picard and and Michelle Phillips. Mm. In both cases, the time distortions occurred along the same continuum as a preview or a reprise of a specific point in time. Where we are, where we were. And where we will be. Data, I want this to be an away team of one. You. I don't think there's any reason to risk anyone else. It is reasonable, sir. After all, I am a machine. And dispensable. Indispensable is the appropriate word. I think it should be only you, because you seem more able to control the effects of the time distortion. Oh, I see, sir. That is quite true, sir. I see time as a constant. Whereas humans perceive time as flexible. Hence the expression, time flies when you're having fun. Which until now has always confused me. Well, I want you to put a stitch in time. And uh, save much more than nine. Sir? If other members of your way team... Well, I'm as confused what? What as, as Data. A stitch in time saves nine. Mm-hmm. He's going to stitch the hole. No, I understand the, the, the literal comparison but what does he mean other than that disoriented it could create additional problems and perhaps increase the danger i will go immediately sir also it does raise also it raised two questions for me one is yes why are they not always sending data in first for the same reason (laughs) Uh and then the other thing i i was sort of occurred to me is don't they have like kind of scout probes or stuff they can send in Ahead of the away teams, yeah, sure. I mean, it's less exciting, obviously, but release the drone. No. All right, we have the coordinates exactly as the professor specified. Excuse me, Jordy. Shouldn't you be flying the ship? What are you doing in the transporter room for this very <laughs> delicate transport? It has not yet been established that you can be the chief engineer. Disengage. <laughs> Enterprise. Scott. I'm proceeding to the lab, sir. Maintain an open frequency, Mr. Data. Aye, sir. Bitch, you so nosy. Why don't you get down here? Old school Trek music there. Yeah. Along with some old school phaser firing. There's nothing I enjoy more than the emotional engagement of someone fighting with a couple of lasers. It's all you'll get out of this show. Automatic lasers on a wall. Mr. Data, what's going on? It's like that time he had to dodge that drill. Sure, the drill. I'm proceeding into the laboratory. Uh... Or the time he had to dodge Thank God the data is not the... a fat android, because he would not get through this. We got a right fat android. 
I'm going to go with Fat Terminator. All right. This is so dumb. On my mark. So it's so. Also, why would fucking? Or maybe there's a reason for it, but I don't understand why he needs a 27 second countdown from Jordy. A hundred percent. That was completely baffling. A hundred percent. That that bumped me in a huge way. It was like, well, maybe maybe it's from the outside. Exist outside of other perspective. But isn't everybody going through the same time bump that he is? Not to mention, they keep making a big deal about how far the time um, distortions have spread. I feel like this would mess up everything Mm -hmm. that it touched. I do like the datas uh, talking to each other. Yeah, that's that was really good. Th- to me. That's the only. There appears to be three of us. Should I drop the antimatter or wait for one of you? Only one of us is in the correct time continuum. Which one? It's me. I like how he. Waves off the other. It's me, me! Like, very undata like. I wonder why. Well, is it just him because he's the one in the middle? Like, yeah, he's what's the present. The... Past, present, future. Yeah, I guess. That's why he decided it was him. I would prefer a more technical explanation. Well, you're not going to get it from this episode, that's for sure. No. Uh, they'll start their work immediately. They decide to go back. Side oh, issue Paul Mannheim uh, was played by Rod Loomis. Um, who was uh, in the... Uh, he played Dr. Loomis in the Halloween movies. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I made that up. Oh. I just have the same name of Loomis. That would be great. He played Sigmund Freud in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ah. He was King Zed in The Beastmaster. <laughs> King Zed in The Beastmaster. Well, well, that's edition. a credit you can die with. Sure. Continue the program. Enter when ready. The captain is waiting for you inside. His dick's out. <laughs> he knows not of your ways. How's this possible? It's Paris. Unbelievable. Madame, this way. The captain is waiting for you. This is so real. Bien sûr. Pourquoi pas? <laughs> Jean-Luc. Don't tell me how you did it. I don't care. It's perfect. I paid a slave race to build this in my quarters. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't want to know. (laughs) They suffered well. (laughs) I shall always picture you here. Waiting for me. Endlessly being disappointed I expect you to always come charging to my rescue I'll do my best <sighs> goodbye Jean-Luc gotta get back Me to well. being unhappy and you goodbye you Michelle Phillips Well, so much for my dramatically romantic exit. What's the purpose of that? Uh, to show that it's like when you say, hey, Siri, and your phone turns on. 
Mm-hmm. I think whenever you say the word exit in a holodeck, the exit appears. But what? Uh, never mind. She says so much. Right. She turns around so to walk out the before door. Before you get to the next. The door is not there. There is no next. The episode's ending. Uh, the Before she goes to walk out the door that she sees isn't there, she's like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. I was going to make a dramatic exit. No, I understand the, the what why that happened. What I don't understand is dramatically why they ended the scene that way. <laughs> oh, no reason. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, before we hop off of the, uh, the Michelle Phillips uh, um, Picard thing, um, I, one, one detail I liked mm-hmm. was that they explored that he left because essentially he was he's afraid of being an ordinary person which i thought was something that yes you could relate that that people who are in political power and in the military in high positions of power or even in show business could relate to that's like kind of like do you put that first or do you put personal relationships first and i thought it was interesting that uh card is in some ways a little bit of a narcissist because he doesn't want to give up the uh he doesn't want to give up being Jean-Luc Picard, the great Jean-Luc Picard. I think all Federation captains are a little narcissistic. Yeah, as all, you know, probably even good politicians and actors are probably a little narcissistic. Not writers, Actors though. are so narcissistic. Um, so we come off of this scene. So are writers. That's true. We come off of this scene, and um, uh, I can either play the long, the long Andy's theories uh or I can play the short one. Which would you prefer? Short. All right. Then I'm just going to play the outro. Um, basically, come off of this scene. Riker knows that Picard has been hanging with Michelle Phillips. He's been fuming the whole episode. Just, just, what is he doing? He's been shooting looks. If you look at him in this episode, he's always I mean, making a weird daggers, face. Shooting some daggers with those steel blue eyes. And then Picard comes out of the holodeck onto the bridge, and this is the exchange they have. Is anything wrong? No, sir. Then set course for Sarana 8. As I remember, we were on our way for some much-needed shore leave. Course plotted and laid in, sir. Warp 5. Engage. I've only been there once, but they've got this great club. I don't remember the name of it. They serve those blue concoctions. It's across the square from the Zanza Men's Dance Palace. Try back off called the Blue Parrot Cafe, and you're buying. <laughs> Devil's threesome. Um, so, I don't know, to me, that's, that's the most rock-solid evidence <laughs> we've had of Riker being in love with Picard. I would like to see them all. And these oh. theories are very interesting because he's really smart. I would like to see them all on, uh, on shore leave. Yeah. Just see what they're doing, you know? See if they're jamming out to number one hits like... There's nothing that really has set the time musically better that this was presented in better than this song. It's got synthesizers. It's got these weird horns. And it's got Terrence Trent Darby. I bet that's a good. I bet this is a good pop-up video. <laughs> 
Yes, I would agree. <laughs> well, I guess it's time to uh, issue a MVC for this episode, Andy. It sure is, pal. In the vastness of space, when the going gets rough, you gave it your all. You showed the right stuff. You managed to not blow the ship to It's got to be data, right? Hundred percent. There's no one no else that's even in play. I really wonder why, what, what the reasoning was of when they would bring in Wesley and when they wouldn't bring in Wesley into an episode, though. I like think they'd Troy, be like we have him for eight. Let's write him into eight and then not spend any more money. Right. It's just a money issue. Right. I mean, yeah, I assume so. Or, or just a writing issue that's like, well, we already have these people. It's like the. All the tech babble and like how you assign this person solves it or this person solves it is seems pretty easy unless it's like data where it's like there's a reason that you need an android to get involved. So anyway, because he's a robot and dispensable, right? But uh, I don't know. It just seems like they should take more opportunities. No, he's indispensable. Don't you pay any attention? Right? No, I'm sorry. You're right. God, it did seem harsh that Picard's like, I'd like you to go down there by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I almost felt like the Enterprise is going to like Wish they just ditch left, him there. left it at that. <laughs> well, 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 we finally got rid of him. You owe me $40, number one. <laughs> the Andes. Or some other method of ranking. We're working on it. Uh, what do you think, Matt? I'm going to let you go first this week. Um, given all the issues with this episode and its uh, sheer lack of uh, enjoyable moments... Well, there's like three enjoyable moments. So because there's three enjoyable moments, I'm going to give it one and a half Andes. Interesting. I was going to give it a two. And uh, that the, the the moments are... But you know what? I You know, I have to actually... I'll probably have to really give this a... I might have to also give this a two because I'm just like... I know... Although I guess I can give things zero Andes or half an Andy. So I'm going to leave it at one and a half Andes. What is in your head? What are you thinking? Um, well, I'm just thinking about like when they're really, really unwatchable episodes. What am I going to do? It is difficult, but to me, this was—I mean, it wasn't unwatchable, but it was just so. I, I would, I would, I think. Feel free to correct me. Mm-hmm. I feel like this might have been our most pointless episode we watched because at least episodes that are terrible, yeah, nothing happens. are kind of funny or fun or enjoyable. Yes. Whereas this is just like the main plot with Picard is bull the the freaking sci-fi plot is is goes nowhere totally um however i do like the three datas yelling at each other yeah and uh i like they touch on possible directions that could have been interesting with picard's character all right so i don't know you're staying at one and a half one and a half andy's i think i'm gonna stay i was thinking about going down to one and a half but i'm gonna stick it too um and then what else we have to play next week's thing? Should I do that next now? week's trailer? Let's we conspiracy. I'm a big fan of this episode. On the next episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, don't trust anyone. Remember that, Jean-Luc. Sabotage strikes the highest ranks of the Starfleet Command. Regular security emergency and threatens the future of the entire Federation. 
What is that? But do evil parasites hold the key to this deadly conspiracy? You'll be one of us soon. Find out on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yikes. Yeah, a lot, lot happening there, Andy. Yeah. Tune in for conspiracy, everybody. It's a hilarious shot of Jordy being thrown by through the prop door. It splits in half. Well, what makes me do? question what those doors are made of in the future. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I look forward to showing Andy Andy Secunda uh, some conspiracy. It's uh, I remember liking that as a child. I feel like being sick this week. That was the one that I would have preferred to watch. I was really looking forward to sitting down and just you know enjoying a Star Trek episode. Kind of sick day. It was very of. boring. Oh, it's Bo. Bo, Something's do you not happening. like this episode either? What do you think of this episode, Bo? How many barks do you give it? He just gave it one. One bark. One. That seems like a half. One it's and a half, half bark. He gave it the same as his master. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, I guess that does it for this week's episode. If you want to email <laughs> We're us. We're so morose. If you want to email us, you can email us at uh, some email address Andy knows right S-T-T-N-C-Pod now. S-T-T-N-C-Pod at Uh You can tweet us at, or Instagram, uh, Instagram us at Star Trek TNC. Um, and uh, our uh, I apologize our phone number if you want to leave a voicemail is what is it 816 thank you never heard anyone like really hit that crocodile tears right except for Terrence Trent Darby it's true by the way before this week if you'd asked me who Terrence Trent Darby was I would have said oh the Tony nominated actor because it just sounds like a name for some sort of stage actor it's 816 Trek TNC 816 Trek Trek TNC TNC 816 Trek TNC uh, Terrence Trent Darby was his birth name mm-hmm. and uh, also known as oh sorry Terrence Trent Howard was his dirt birth name Trent Howard I have more Dance Little Sister this is some additional Terrence Trent Darby that's happening. Having a great time. See you later, everybody. Tune in next week for more Star Trek The Next Conversation. This 